0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Janice Tannell for today, Sunday, February 6th. Thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in. Um, We have a great beauty news show planned for you guys tonight. Uh, For those of you who who may have questions or comments or even have beauty news that you want to share yourself, please give us a call at 914-803-4399. Again, that's 914-803-4399. Now I'm going to turn it over to Denise so she can greet you and start to share some of her news. Good evening, everyone, and once again, welcome to the show. We thank you guys for joining us tonight. And just a quick reminder um, for some of you who have been joining us um, week after week, we will be having a recap of tonight's show and just a discussion on anything beauty-related over on Twitter, on Twitter spaces um, after tonight's show And so that will be um, on the beauty talk uh, page, which is beauty underscore talk. Again, Twitter spaces, beauty underscore talk. And just starting off tonight's beauty news show, I wanted to mention uh, the makeup show, uh, the makeup show Chicago, a beauty experience taking place on March 26th through the 27th at Rebel uh, Motor Row. That's an event space, Revel Row at 2400 South Michigan Avenue in Chicago. It's a, again, it's a two-day show. Saturday, March 26th, Sunday, March 27th, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on both of those days. One-day ticket price, forty-five dollars. Two-day ticket price, fifty-eight dollars. If you're a student, you can get a ticket for one-day ticket price at forty-one dollars. And your two-day student ticket price is $52. And, again, that's the Makeup Makeup Show Chicago. So for more information on that and to register for that event, you can go to themakeupshow.com. Moving on to the Powder Group, they have um, a couple of events that I wanted to um, tell you all about. Um, One, the Powder Group presents uh, the Powder Group Pro to Pro. Um, This event, Um, is is an online monthly program that takes a look at a wide-ranging areas of makeup artistry, and each month features one of their incredible, uh, the Powder Group Pro members from across the career of pro makeup. I think it's so great that they're featuring um, some of the Powder Group Pro members in this event. These sessions will consist of discussion and demonstration, product talk, and career advice from the areas of film, bridal, beauty, effects, and more. Uh, join them while they take you into the world and to the into the world and minds of some of the most talented and inspirational artists from the Potter Group Pro community. Um, they can't wait to have you experience all their amazingness. Again, I think that's a great idea that they're featuring them. Um, the entire program is free for the Potter Group members, of course. It's free for union artists. So if you're a member of the union, 798-706, um, um, it's free to you. And PBA members, it's free as well, um, and it will include a two-week rewatch on-demand option for each session. Um, but for those people uh, that it's free for, the uh, union members and the uh, PBA members, um, if you want to watch the replay, you do have to pay $65 for, for any of the sessions that you want to watch. It's free when when the program is live, but if you want to watch the uh, replays, you do have to pay $65 for a Um, each of the sessions that you want to watch. Um, If you're not a member, you can access the live broadcast each week. You can go to uh, thepowdergroup.com's website to uh, get more details on how to become a member and how to watch each broadcast. So I'll give you a little bit of the schedules starting February 7th, which is tomorrow. They'll be doing editorial beauty. Um, Virginia uh, Durville, uh, she will cover that. March 7th, a focus on skin by Corey Hiroska. April 4th, Mastering Clean Beauty, Carmilla Cunny. April 18th, uh, pinup Up Perfected, Madonna Stein. And May 23rd, the makeup kit minimalism, Melissa Colazzo. And this program is sponsored, of course, by Omnia, Scandinavia, Brush Beauty Bomb, Senna, Beekman 1802, RCMA Makeup, Friends Beauty, On Makeup Magazine, Kevin O'Kwan, Zhao, uh, Dellium Tools, Nigel Beauty, Cinema Secrets, and Muse Beauty Pro, as well as Alcone. So, again, if you want to register for this event, you can go to thepowdergroup.com. For all non-members, of course, um, each event is $65. And one other thing I have The Powder Group uh, presents Makeup 101, and this class is taking place uh, Monday, July 25th through Wednesday, July 27th of this year. And to register for this, of course, thepowdergroup.com. Each of those days, the class is taking place from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on uh, each of those days. So after two years of having this Makeup 101 online, it's finally back to a live in-person event, which will take place in New York City. Um, again, July 25th through the 27th. Makeup 101 is the program that has been resetting makeup artist's craft for the last 18 years, according to the Powder Group. But in their new expanded three-day program that's going to be led by James Vincent in partnership with Bethany Towns, they will help you develop a deep and focused understanding of, your, um, of our industry, your craft, and you as an artist like never before. This class is classes not just for new artists, but Makeup 101 takes you beneath your process and guides you through personal development from the basics and beyond to a new, more focused way of looking at your work and who you want to be as an artist. So Makeup 101 is a program that separates fact from fiction. It, gives you, it gets you to an elevated place in your artistry, your technique, your career, and the overall art of being a strong, working makeup artist today and tomorrow. Again, this program has the same sponsors as the last program, News Beauty Pro, Scandinavia, Omnia. Um, they've added Rebels and Outlaw, Makeup Designery. Um, they've added Anissa Beauty. They've added Melanie Mills Hollywood, um, Alcone Company, B3 Bomb, Center Cosmetics, um, Cinema Secrets, and a few others. Um, so their schedule for 2022, again, is Monday, July 25th through the 27th, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., it takes place at Makeup Designery at 65 Broadway on the 15th floor in New York City. And some of the topics that they will be covering will be, they will review the following. Industry review, which is what types of work is out there now and what is the best area for your personal situation. Industry tech, uh, terminology they will cover. Um, getting started. How to go from learning about makeup artistry to actively working in the business. Um, and then also how to go from assisting to actually keying a project. Uh, They'll talk about marketing and promotion. They'll go over social media, your makeup kit. They'll go over brushes and tools, hygiene, working with clients, color theory, beauty makeup application, and then editorial photography and HD makeup application, as well as a self-evaluation. And some of the demonstrations and application portion of the event that they will cover will be preparing the skin, understanding skin type, foundation matching and application, color correction, using texture, highlight and contour, concealer and camouflage, brow shape and application, eye shape and size, eye color application, eye lining, lashes, bronzers, blush, lips. Hygiene and sanitation, and setting up makeup. Um, the attendees will receive a list of products uh, that they will need for the class prior to the start of the program. Then, so once you once you've registered, um, you will receive a list of products that will be needed um, for the class. So, the rates for this class is as follows: If you are a Potter Group Pro member, the rate for that class is five hundred ninety dollars. If you are a non Potter Group Pro member, seven hundred ninety dollars. Okay, five ninety if you're a member, seven ninety if you're not, and the deposit to hold your um, to hold your space for the class is one hundred ninety dollars. Okay, and you can register by going to thepowdergroup.com and looking for the class Makeup One Hundred One. All right, thank you so much for that. Um, just wanted to share can a couple I, of dates with you guys. Can I add? Can I add just one more thing? Sorry about that. I just wanted to add that they do state that, as far as health and safety goes, that all attendees must be fully vaccinated or show a negative test result within 48 hours of the program's start date. Okay, so unvaccinated attendees must remain masked indoors during the program. If you're unvaccinated, you must remain masked indoors during the program. And I will say, it's not my event, but... I will say if anybody's attending the program, they should all remain masked, but it's not my program. Moving on. All right. Uh, Thank you for that. Just want to give you guys a couple dates. Um, As we stated uh, last week, ISSE Salon and Spa Expo is now being held in June. So this is a new date for them um they're always normally in january but this year they're going to be june 25th and 26th at the long beach convention center again isse has a new date that's june 25th through the 26th Um, cosmopro north america held in las vegas every year this year their dates are july 12th through the 14th again july 12th through the 14th for cosmopro north america so please save the date I just wanted to, to uh, bring to your attention if you are an Arizona or a California um, beauty professional, just wanted to throw out two um, bills that you need to pay attention to. So for those who are in California, I don't have a lot of information on it, but the California Senate Bill 803, um, and it pertains to aesthetics and nails. You're going to want to, um, if you want to know more information about this bill and how it affects you, go to uh, ProBeauty.org, that's PDA, and um, they have a video out there that, um, that you can watch. It's kind of like a class, and it's going to break down all of the information that you're going to need to know. Um, the Arizona House Bill 239 is another bill um, that you guys should know about if you're in Arizona. And um, let me get my information here. Um, The Arizona House Bill 2399 will reduce the number of hours for a cosmetology program from 1,500 to 1,000. The legislation will also reduce the number of hours of training for a license um, to practice hairstyling from 1,000 to 600 hours. The Arizona legislator is meeting in person for the 2022 legislative session. So anybody who's wishing to testify may do so in person or online via the button, um, via uh, going to the Pro Beauty website, and they have an area out there that you can go to um, to, to sign up to, to testify. So I, I mentioned those two things because I remember a few years back, We were talking a lot about the deregulation issue that was taking place in a lot of states across the country. Most beauty professionals didn't even know about it. Most licensed beauty professionals didn't know about it. Um, It was really going to affect, uh, well, pretty much everybody that had a license. It was pretty much trying, you know, they were going to try to take away licensing in a lot of states because they thought that it brought more money to the states. So it was a big issue. Um, Some stylists, you know, wasn't for it, some were okay with it, but most stylists didn't even know about it. So that's the reason why I wanted to mention those two two bills, because one of the things I feel like it's very important as a licensed professional that we pay attention to what's happening in the states that we're licensed in because, you know, your license could be snatched right, you know, right from under you and you not even realize or even know why. So we have to pay attention to what's happening um, in that area of licensing so that we, you know, we we can uh, be more informed and know exactly what's happening. So if you want more information uh, you can go to probeauty.org again that's probeauty.org now that's the home of professional beauty association and i just wanted to um, encourage those of you who will be professionals especially if you're licensed cosmetologist, esthetician nail tech um, massage therapist, to become a member and even makeup artists even though I don't even know if there's any more states left that you, where you have to have a license for makeup, but um, but makeup artists as well. This this um, organization is for you as well. But I encourage membership. Um, there's so many things as freelancers that we don't get, um, and that's insurance and um, basically um, medical insurance, insurance for your for your. Um, I'll say, like, your kit or your, your um, whatever it is, equipment, rather, that you use for your particular profession. Um, it's all out there, and membership definitely has its benefits. There's so many programs that PBA offers, so many educational opportunities. A lot of them are free. All the trade shows that I've just mentioned, um, ISSC, Cosmo Pro, so many things out there for you to learn and get the information that you need Um, so just wanted to encourage membership you can go to probeauty.org also they have business memberships so if you are a beauty business in any way um, you can get memberships and those memberships are 195 dollars. so just wanted to throw that out to you Um, and speaking of business we are starting last week's conversation with Tina Hussey encouraged us to start a new segment for the show. Um, you may not hear it on every episode, but it's something that we're definitely going to do, um, and we're going to be bringing back beauty professionals like Sharantina and others to come on and talk about business and how it can help beauty professionals. I feel like that's something that beauty professionals don't pay a lot of attention to unless they have um, a beauty product or something that they're, that they're offering. I really would love to see beauty professionals get more into the business of what they're doing. So tonight we have invited Sharantina back to the show, and tonight she's going to be speaking about copyrights and trademarks, and so many people confuse those but she's coming tonight to clear all of that up. <laughs> she's going to tell us what a copyright is, what a trademark is, um, what they're for. Um, she's going to share all kinds of information. So if you have questions, call us, 914-803-4399. You can um, hit us up on Twitter, beauty underscore talk. My sister will be out there. Um, so you can also email us at beautygirlsmedia uh, at gmail.com, and we'll make sure we you, we get your questions if you have them. Um, so I'm going to invite Charentina on the line right now. Hi, Charentina. Welcome back to the show. Hi. Hi. How are
0: you? <laughs> Good. Good. So, <laughs> you
1: know, you in, you inspired us to do something
0: new. I'm excited about that. <laughs>
1: Yes, we heard how excited you was last week just <laughs> talking about everything and so I'm just glad yes. that we were able to get you back on because I just feel like like I was just saying that it's something that duty professionals, you know, some of us don't know about certain things until right it's time for us to do something and then we're confused right. about these questions, <laughs> we don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. So yes. I I just like to see more beauty professionals be more business minded so yes, i'm gonna let I you agree. take over please yes yeah, so us
0: copyrights <laughs> and <laughs>
1: trademarks no i'm just saying copyrights yeah. and trademarks tell us what it is and what we need to know about it
0: okay so uh people typically use copyright and trademark interchangeably but they are actually very different um copyright protects original works so If you think about books, um, songs, poems, uh, if you write a play, things like that, um, they are what you would copyright, not trademark. Copyrights protect those original works. Um, The cool thing about copyrights is that as soon as you create the work, you automatically have copyright over it. So while you can register an official copyright, you do have copyright rights over your original work. From the time you create it, until after you die, plus 70 years. <laughs> so, you know, that that's a pretty long time, um, which is a good thing because, wow. you know, you, you have protection over what you create. And um, so, you know, I think what most people do, like even, even bloggers, I wanted to throw that out there too because blogs are also under that category of works that can be, um, that are considered copyrighted, especially if, The creator has um, like a note in the footer of their website or somewhere on the page that simply states um, copyrighted the the year that it is and, you know, the business name. So that's pretty much all you have to do to let it be known to the public that it is copyrighted. And you can also add like a statement that will tell people how they can um, get rights to use it, you know, if they wanted to like cite it somewhere or maybe, you know, show your picture and, some type of project they're working on, like you can dictate how you want to be contacted to ask for permission, or you can say it's it's free and open to the public. So you kind of decide that. Um, but again, that's great because it starts literally at, right after you create the work until you die plus seventy years.
1: So, so that a is so, a copyright. So, what, so okay, so what if? Okay, so what if I wrote a script for a movie, and mm-hmm. my sister wrote a script for a movie. The same movie, same script. How do I prove that that's my script? If you're saying that, I mean, the copyright pretty much starts once I create the original work. But then she says, "Well, that that's my script because my you know everything's the same." And and I mean, and I know this is far-fetched and it's crazy, but right. you're gonna have you have people out there who who cl- who have written scripts who claim that the script that a certain person wrote or a movie that they did Mm -hmm. that that was their script so how do you i mean if if this person is saying that they wrote the script and then this person actually wrote a script and produced this movie and it's being shown how do you how do you prove like what let's just say they were both done in the same year how do you prove right who actually has the copyright
0: would have to hash it out in court and the best way to do that would be to have some proof of the date that you created it. And that could be something as simple as writing the date on the document. Like, and you know, I know people can get crafty and change things and do that, but, like, you probably would have to hash that out in court and have some type of proof to show, like, when mm-hmm. you when you created it. I mean, even for trademarks, and I'll get to that, but for trademarks is it's, it's very similar. Um, like, you know, a lot of people go through the process of, Um, having to go to court due to trademark infringement and so to prove that you use it first you literally have to be able to prove that like it could be something as crazy as like a a, a time stamped or date stamped social media post of when you first started using like a specific logo or um, some type of receipt like it it gets down to the nitty-gritty details like that where you have to literally Mm -hmm. prove that you created it and you know most time, if you, if you keep the records, you know it shouldn't be um, an issue. But I'm sure there's been cases where it hasn't been as straightforward, you know. Hmm. So, trademarks are a bit different in that they um, basically represent a brand, and so typically a trademark is found in different forms. So you can it can be a word, like literal a word it can be a phrase, it can be a symbol, a design, or it can be a combination of all of those things. Um, So if you think, uh, for example, um, the brand Sony, like, you know, their logo is just their name written out in black letters, Sony. Mm -hmm. You think about Starbucks, Starbucks, you might see the word written out, Starbucks, and you might also see their logo, their famous logo symbol, and they both represent the brand. So some brands will um, trademark just the name, which is, I would say the if you're if you're only if you only want to get one type of trademark meaning you don't want to get um like a a you know a branded design as opposed to just a word, I always say go for the word because that gives you the most protection over the actual name of whatever the brand is um If you just decided okay at Starbucks I'm just gonna trademark this circle with you know the mermaid lady in it with the green color and the white writing that is the only thing that's trademarked so While you might say, well, yeah, I I trademarked the design, which includes the name Starbucks. No, you trademarked the design, not the actual name. So somebody could come along and, you know, say, well, they didn't trademark the name. They trademarked that design. So it it gets kind of, like, tricky when you're deciding, like, what you want to trademark. But I always say, and I've heard, like, like trademark attorneys and, like, people who really practice this in law say that if, if you're starting out and you want to get a trademark and you can't do both, because, you know, they are pretty expensive, Um, always do the name by itself first, just whatever the brand name is. You can always go back later and get an additional trademark um, on the design or a combination of the design and the wording. Um, And so, you know, like I said, it's better to protect the name first, and then you can go and add, you know, stake claim on specific colors and, you know, stylized writing, like all of that in terms of the design. Um, and so basically like a trademark really just distinguishes one brand from another. It's like what makes your brand unique mm-hmm. in terms of like the visual aspect. Um that's, and go ahead,
1: sorry. That's interesting. It's interesting because years ago I trademarked the Illusions Cosmetics logo.
0: Mhm. Not
1: the name. But right. I definitely hear what you're hear what you're saying because it was so many pieces. And yep. the logo was broken down in so many different ways where it's just, you know, the the basic logo, then it was the name mm-hmm. in a special, yep.
0: you know, like a character, way. Yep. yeah. Uh-huh. You so know, so
1: many you know what else?
0: To, mm-hmm. So I was just going to say to that point, like, the reason that that's important is because it, it's like, for example, since you trademarked the design, the only time your brand, like, is protected under that trademark is when you use that entire design, exactly how you trademarked it. So if you decide one day that you just want to shorten it and just put Illusions Cosmetics on it, it it, it does not Mm -hmm. fall under the protection of that trademark because it's not the same thing. You have to use that exact, whatever thing you trademarked, you have to use that exact design every single time for it to actually be, everything to be protected under it. So that's why I say, like, if you just got the name, you know, you would always have that protection. Plus, the design is kind of like an extra, you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, you know, of course, yeah. back
1: then I didn't realize that, and mm-hmm. it, um, I wasn't using the help of an attorney. I was, you know, I was right. doing the research, doing all this stuff right. by myself.
0: Right.
1: Um, but then, of course, years later, everything that I, mm-hmm. I did, I was like, okay, you know, all this stuff needs to, to be done um but that was but interesting because when you have all of those pieces to it it's good to know that if you're going to not do it all at one time then at least do the name
0: first yep they say it's always good to start there because again like your trademarks are expensive and it's it's a long process and like you you have to be pretty you know in it to win it and dedicated to to go through that process and so you know, it's always best if you can't afford to do all of it at one time or if it's just overwhelming, start there and then at least you you literally have rights over the name of the brand. You know, everything else, you can go back in later and get another trademark for the design because you never know, you know, when new businesses start, do you know how many iterations of a logo you go through? Like, You know, and like when you first start you have this logo you think is so great and then like a year passes and you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe I thought that was cute. You know, it's like you you decide to rebrand, and and so that costs money. Rebranding after you trademark that that is expensive. And so I'm glad that when we trademarked my other company, we trademarked the name. We did not trademark, um, we didn't do a design trademark, and I'm happy about that because we've changed our logo like three times, you know, Mm -hmm. and once Mm -hmm. you change something, it's no longer, it's not the same. You have to amend it, and that costs money. So, you know, I think, I also encourage people, and people might not want to hear it because it does leave you out in the open, but, like, make sure you're, like, really dedicated and want to pursue the business like for the long haul before you go and invest money, time, and effort into getting a trademark because it is a hassle to get things changed and expensive. Um, and it's well, just like, <laughs> you know, knowing, knowing from the beginning um, if you want to do it for the long haul will help. Um, and another thing, like, as far as the requirements go, there, there are three different types of trademarks, um, which I can talk about, too, because, like, you know, people think, like, oh, I want to get a trademark. I have to go file, a fe- like, for a federal trademark. But in actuality, there are three different types, and they're kind of, like, have different protections. And so at the bottom you have the common law trademark. Kind of like, you know, common law marriage, you know, it's not really like legit legit, but it's legit. And so in that case, it's like basically you just say you just came up with a a brand name and you just started using it. You know, you 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 set up, you set up your business, you started using it, started getting sales. It, it's become, you know, your 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 logo, your trademark. Um if that is a thing. Like it's called a common law trademark, and basically you do have some rights. So basically, if you were to come up with say Illusions Cosmetics, and you know for a fact, you know you did a little searching on Google, and you didn't really see anybody with it, and you started using it, you're good to go. And then out of nowhere, you know somebody pops up and they call themselves Illusions Cosmetics as well, and you're like, well, hold up, <laughs> you know this was this was my thing. You do have the right to send them a cease and desist letter, but you can it won't hold up in court like if you don't have a formal registered trademark you cannot sue them in court so you can send them a cease and desist you can say i I've, I've been using this since this date and that date most times that will scare somebody because nine times out of 10 they might not have known that someone else was like really seriously using it and that can kind of scare them away but in other cases it can and in that case you have to kind of say okay well if i really want the utmost protection I have to kind of take it a a level higher and either get a state trademark or a federal trademark. And so, again, while you're first starting out, I think the common law trademark is fine. That's what I did. Like, we just started using it. We searched, didn't see anyone using it, and we, you know, felt it was safe enough to use it. And then as time went on, we registered for the, the federal trademark. And I'll explain why we waited to do that, because you do have to have some things in place before you can even qualify to register for a federal trademark. So that's the lowest level. The middle level is the state trademark. So state trademarks are favorable in some cases because they are not as expensive as the federal trademark. They range from, like, $10 to $50, and it is state-specific. So in the state of Pennsylvania, where I am, it's $50 for a state trademark. In another state, it might be 40 or 10 Like, you have to check um, with your state website to see what how much it is. Um, the good thing about the state trademark is it does give you more protection, but it limits you. So basically if, you know, you got a state trademark for Illusions Cosmetics and you were chilling, you're you're fine with that, you're doing your thing and you're selling mostly in your state, you know, locally, people you know and then someone else from California creates Illusions Cosmetics and they go get a federal trademark before you, guess what? They will have rights to that name in every other state except yours. So it will keep you it could keep you small. Like you you'll still have rights to it in the state that you got the trademark in, but everywhere else in the United States you won't be able to sell to. So, that's something I tell people like if you if you don't feel comfortable just having that like common law thing and you want something more concrete, you can you can do the state just to have, you know, feel a little bit more protected, especially when you're just getting started and selling locally. Um but it can keep you small if somebody somewhere else takes the initiative and gets to it before you do it. and they do do it by Like the order of when you file. So if somebody files before you and they get it, like that's it. (laughs) Okay.
1: So let me. Okay. Let's go back. I'm sorry. You you may have stated. You may have stated some of this, but I'm just asking again, Um, and I just want to make sure I'm clear. So. First question. First question. Do you need to have both state and federal? Second question. You don't have to have any. Okay, but I'm just so go ahead I want this- protect, I want this protection, so would you suggest me having both or what's the most important state or federal second now, are you you' saying is, that if I oh, just have to, if I just have the state and somebody else goes to get the federal, then they have rights to it in all states except the state that I have
0: correct. To the second question, yes, that's literally how it works. They will have rights to okay, it in all those question other question states.
1: Question.
0: The second question was about if some if you get a state trademark and they go and get a federal trademark, will they have rights in all those other states except like your region? And the answer is yes. <laughs> that that's okay. absolutely correct. So would
1: you, so would, you um, su- would you suggest that I have both a state and a federal?
0: This is my personal opinion, and I am not an attorney, so don't don't go tell a lawyer that I said this, but. <laughs> Um, I I think if you if you know for a fact that you're in it for the long haul, that you you know you're this is what you want to do and you you want the, the utmost protection, I would just say wait and get you know start make sure no one is using you'll do the proper searches on Google on the trademark database to make sure that it doesn't exist because that'll save you headache later if you know you don't want to get sued for infringement if somebody already has a trademark. Um, but if you know that you want to get a federal trademark, I say start the business, start using the name, especially if no one is using it, and then work. Once you you know get everything set up, work towards getting that federal trademark. The, like I said, it's really it's really like your own. Um, it's really like a like a business decision. It's really a business decision, like what you think is best. But in my personal opinion, if I knew that eventually I wanted a federal trademark, I wouldn't even go through the hassle of getting a state trademark. Because it's just limiting. It doesn't – it gives you more – I guess it would make you feel more secure, like, oh, hey, I have more rights over this. But if you know you want to go for the long haul anyway, like, I would just wait, you know, start the business, start getting sales, and then um, just go for it. And one of – the reason I keep saying, you know, get everything in order is because one of the requirements – to apply for the federal trademark is you have to have sold across state lines even if like Philly and Jersey are right next to each other even if i sold to one person in New Jersey i can that qualifies me to to be eligible to get it you have to have sold at, across state lines wherever that is so that's why i say like you have you want to get it up and started and you know you can get like of course you have to get like your llc like whatever business forming structure in you know for whatever type of business you want to do but outside of that, when you're talking like legal intellectual property protection, you definitely um, if you're going for the long haul, I say just do the federal one. That's just my personal opinion. Um, gotcha. And so, yeah, like you know, lastly, the federal trademark again is gives you the most protection. Like it pretty much um, covers you in all the whole United States and all of its territories. And so, in that case, if, if once you have the trademark. Um, if someone uses your trademark name, you can sue them in court. <laughs> it's yours. You own it. Right. You know, and you own it for 10 years. You can renew it every 10 years. And so, um, you know, it gives you the most protection. But people also fail to realize that you have to police your own trademark. Like, just because you get a federal trademark, I think some people think, like, oh, I'm good. You know, the government, whoever will, like, you know, police it for me. If if anyone's using my name, I'll get notified. no. You have to like be on the prowl and like you know doing doing research and just you know every while every once in a while just search and you know, search your your brand name and see what comes up because people try it and some people honestly don't know to do this, the the pre work of searching before they start using a name and so sometimes right. it's a mistake and then in other cases it's not a mistake and I've had situ- I've had a situation with a brand of someone that I went to high school with who literally I'm, I don't even want to get into it but like. She was, like, copying, like, so, I mean, product names, all kinds of stuff. Like, it was insane. And so people try it, and, um, you know, you just have to kind of stay on top of it and, like, police it in, in the way that you can based on whatever protection you have.
1: And how Why much does do it normally people- cost
0: for this trademark? What was the question?
1: Does it normally cost to get
0: the federal trademark? So it's two hundred and fifty dollars per class of goods, and so gotcha. I was I was, ta- I was talking a little bit about that last time, Yeah um, you know, basically I was saying if you if you're say you're just selling candles, candles fall into one class of goods, you know, and so in that case right. you might just be be paying the two fifty to just do candles and whatever else will fall in that class of goods. Um, the the goods categories, um, some of them are very broad, which is a good thing. So, like, you know, um, in candles, maybe there are some other types of related products that could fall under that category that you could also sell, and it would be protected. But, again, if you decided, I want to sell candles and I also want to sell T-shirts, T-shirts is in a separate class of goods. And in that case, mm-hmm. you would pay an additional 250 for that to protect the items or um, products you have in that class of goods. So, again, it gotcha. depends on your product mix and, um, you know, what you're selling. And the thing is, like, you could get away with, you know, selling candles and T-shirts but only having registered the candles. But if somebody does something that infringes on, you know, say, your T-shirt line, you won't have any protection over it because you didn't register it with your trademark. So it's kind of like right. it's kind of left out there in the wind, you know. You know, trying to get over is isn't always the best, so... You know, we not have as much perfection um, So
1: I, I saw that there were three types of trademarks, descriptive, mm-hmm. narrowly descriptive, and generic. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what the descriptive and the generic trademarks are?
0: Yeah, so generic trademarks are like um, those words that are very common. So, like, and they usually are not registerable. So um, things like, like, and it's, it's crazy because at one, this is another thing that kind of comes up. At one point, some of the, these words were not generic, but they started being used so much that, like, they became generic. So, like, um, some of those words uh, are, like, uh, aspirin, elevator. Like, the elevator is actually called something else, like like the formal name of the elevator is not like what we know it as today. That was actually like a brand, like that that name to that and it became so generic that it wasn't a commodity anymore. Like the, the the brand kind of lost its like um I guess uniqueness with calling it that. Same thing for um what is another one? It's another one. It's there's a couple of them that I, I can't think of, but it's, it's it's a couple of them like I think the uh the yo-yo, like it's like things like that that we've come to know as like the yo-yo um what else? It's another really popular one that I can't think of. I'll think of it before we end. But um, aspirin is another one. That's a a form of a generic name. Distinctive names are the ones that will probably be more likely to get to be registrable, and distinctive just means that they are like so different and like they stand out. So, um, for example, arbitrary names are things that are like like say, for example, Apple computers, like it's the word apple, but it doesn't mean like the fruit apple. It has a different meaning. So sometimes if you, if you're using a word um, that to some might seem regular or generic, but it has an arbitrary meaning that could be, that would be considered um, like a distinctive thing because it's different. It's not what it actually is. Um, Some suggestive ones, they kind of like describe things. So like, um, uh Orange Crush, um, YouTube, uh, ever ready, like things that kind of describe what the product does or what it encompasses. And then um you have some that are this is also in like the distinctive category, but they are like words that are made up. So those are the best ones. I, I wanted to say that too. Like if you have a brand, like a name that you literally made up that doesn't mean anything in like the normal English language those are the best ones because they're seen as like kind of like out of the out of this world. It's not something that can be confused with something else, and so those ones I find get um, they get kind of like I would say preferential treatment because they can't be confused with something else that's like you know generic or something that has been around. Um, so yeah, that, those ones have a stronger chance of getting um, recognized. Gotcha so i have
1: a, a question a question for you i was looking um i was looking online mm-hmm. and hold on let me see if i can if i can pull it up i was looking online at uh, trademarks and i came mm-hmm. across something i'm sorry not trademarks copyrights and i came across something like you know it's like things you should know about copyrights and And I'm just wondering if you've heard of this before. It says, creators from other countries are treated better than U.S.
0: creators under U.S. copyright law. I know nothing about that. Do you know what that's (laughs) about? No, I don't. I've never heard that at all. And, I I mean, I know generally I know more about trademarks than copyrights, so – I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that I haven't heard that because I don't I don't like look into them as much as I do. I just find trademark more interesting, to be honest. <laughs> so like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I've never heard that, but that's interesting. I wonder why that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder why too. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. interesting. Hmm. Um. Another. I'm just thinking of another thing um, that I would say is important. To know is that um, a lot of trademark applications um, get denied because of two things and the biggest one I would say is the likelihood it's called the likelihood of confusion and it basically means that if if, you're, um, if your brand is likely to be confused with another brand and most likely it's because of the either the way the word sounds or you sell um, goods and services that are very similar, and there's a likelihood that an average customer would get them confused. A lot of times, those ones are denied. So, um, basically, like uh, one example that I always heard was like, um, like say I don't know, say if you were a car manufacturer and you tried to make a, a car that you know, like like Ford that sounded like the Ford Fusion, you can't you can't do that because they own the trademark to it, and if someone saw that, they might think that you were the other forward, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. and, and another case, to make it more plain, like, um, they have, they, if, if it's the other way around, like, basically saying, if you have a company, like, for example, Dove, you know, the you have Dove, like, the soap company. Right. You also have Dove ice cream brand, and they are able to exist with the same exact name because they sell very different products, so they're, the likelihood of confusion is very low. You know what I mean? Like you weren't likely right. to confuse Dove ice, Dove ice Cream with Dove soap. It's, it's two different, totally different product <laughs> categories. But if the Dove Ice Cream brand tried to come out and had something very similar, even if it was like lotion, it might be confused with the other brand because it's still in that category of goods. So a lot of, um and, and again, if you have a brand that like sounds similar in the name and also sells sell similar products, that's even worse because it's like obviously people might, get it confused and buy from yours when they really meant to buy from the other one. So those are like two of the biggest reasons that um, applications get denied. And also, again, like if you're using, if you're trying to trademark something that isn't trademarkable or is just very generic. Um, I know sometimes like city names, like it's very, like, again, it's very technical and case by case. And uh, like they have actual um, attorneys, like trademark attorneys who decide on this. So when you submit your application, you do this long application, you pay the money, um, it goes into, like, a review process, and basically um, there's, like, a preliminary review, and if you don't pass that, it doesn't even go up to the next person, which is, like, the attorney that really, like, combs through your application, does all of, like, the intricate searches on their database, like, you know, it has to kind of get to that point. But they actually, like, a person decides, it's not just, like, a machine, you know, you put it, filter it through a machine, and here you are, here's your trademark. Um, The process takes 9 to 12 months, so that's why I said you want to be in it, like, for the long haul, because getting a federal trademark is not next week you have it. No, I waited eight months to get my trademark, so it's definitely a long process, and you have to be patient. Can you guys hear me? I can't hear you guys if you can hear me. Can you hear me? I can hear you now.
1: Okay. I was
0: saying yeah,
1: copyrights is. and and trademarks. What's the one and most important thing? to you that we should know about copyrights and then about trademarks?
0: Um, I guess the most important thing about copyrights is that, I mean, I just think it's important for people to know that you have copyrights over your, over what you create originally as soon as you create it. I think that's so important because I don't think a lot of people know that. And, like, you don't have to go – you can get it registered because, again, that gives you more, you know, solid protection, but, like, you have copyrights over it as soon as you create it. Um, that's important to know. And um, I would say for a trademark, I think the most important thing to know, um, because I, I'm in the business of saving people time and money, and so, like – my thing is do the research before you even apply, because one thing that I will mention is they do not give refunds. So if you don't do the research and they do a quick search right. and find another brand, yeah, you find another brand, they find another brand that that already has a trademark, you're, you'll get denied, and you don't get that 250 or or however much you spend. It might be more depending on what they're selling. So right. just to save yourself the hassle and the money, like try just do the research as best as you can, and you can always consult with someone. You can go to an attorney. They're a little more expensive, but, like, you know, I would say at mm-hmm. the highest level, you can get, you can work with an attorney. Of course, there are consultants right. and people that can do the work, too, but again, if you want the utmost, utmost, like, you can definitely consult an attorney that can, like, you know, do, do it all for you. Um, but those are the two things now I would I'm, say. Do the research. Now,
1: I know that you're not an attorney, but Going back to copyright, um, mm-hmm. once you create whatever the work is, you you have an automatic copyright on that work. I had a yep. friend. I have a I have a friend who years ago she wrote this script and she spent years like pitching her script. At one point, um, she felt like she was getting somewhere. She was working with this guy that she met. Um, And for a couple years, they were just passing her script around to different people in the entertainment industry just trying to pitch it. And one particular year, this man, he's an older guy, he pretty much took her script somewhere. She, She told me she felt like in some ways he stole her script, like, he was mm-hmm. getting it out there to somebody that she didn't know about. And so I said to her, now, not knowing that what you just shared that you automatically have copyright on this. But mm-hmm. I said to her, Did you get a copyright? And she said no. That
0: mm-hmm.
1: she didn't say anything like like you just said, you know, I mean right. I automatically have copyright, you know, she didn't say that. But she said no. And I was like, Well, why not? I mean, if you're going to be, it's one thing if you write the script and then you're just going to keep it to yourself. That's one right. thing, but if you're writing the script and you're going to be passing it around to so many people who could right. basically take your take your script uh-huh. and change one, change one word or change one one yep. line or something and now say that it's their script. So in situations like that, what would somebody, what, I guess the first thing, I'll probably answer my own question, like the first thing I would <laughs> do at this point is get a lawyer, but um, what could they do so if
0: someone they, did something like that? Oh um, What I researched, like, you know how I was talking about trademarks and having like that common law trademark where you have rights to it as soon as you start using it? Um Mm-hmm. the the having a copyright on something as soon as you create it is very similar to that, and that you have the copyright. But if somebody does try you and, and steals it, um, the only way you can take legal action is to sue them in court to to prove that. Um, and for that to be for that to be standing, you have to have a copyright on that, like a, like a formal registered copyright on that work. But right. what I found out is that you can get you can register the copyright even after it's been infringed upon. So in her case, you know, she probably wasn't thinking to do that beforehand, you know, not just not thinking about it. But after she had the issue, she could she could have still gone to get a copyright on it even after someone violated it. And that would prove, like, that would be what she would have to legally stand in court to sue that person because she would have to prove that like, when she created it and all that. So it, it, you can kind of work backwards. It's more annoying because now you're having to do it to, to prove something or to get, you know, if you're seeking damages from it. Um, but mm-hmm. you can you can do it even after it's been infringed upon. And um, you register for a copyright on a. It's a whole different uh, website, a whole different part of the government. It's copyright.gov. So if, if anybody ever wanted to learn more information about it, um, copyright.gov is where you go to all things copyright. And as far as trademarks and also patents, you go to um, uspto.gov. That's the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So they cover trademarks, federal trademarks, and patents, and they don't do state trademarks on the federal, on the on their website. It's only federal level. So,
1: yeah. Nice. Well, with that being said, I think that just wrapped it all up. This was fun. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Like I could. <laughs> go on a little longer about it but um yeah that was fun. I mean I, I feel like it was a it was great information for those who may confuse the two. Um, right, right. Great information to help distinguish, you know, between the two what they are and examples of them. Um can you give yeah. uh, me those websites yeah. again? She wants yes, the yes, so. to read do. it's
0: because of the address
1: and that's I hear. Under your... Oh yeah, somebody is. will me do it. I got all. I added up all the information, and in it said so there was a problem. And I, the only problem I can think of is that you now my building address. I don't know
0: who that is. <laughs> me? Yeah. So, um, for for trademarks, you go to USPTO. Dot gov, that's the United States patent and trademark office. They literally have so everything you? you will ever need to know. US um P is in Paul. P uh-huh. is in Tom. Oh. Uh-huh. Um dot gov. Okay. So you I mean you have a lot of videos, articles. You you really can get like the full gamut of everything trademarks and patents if you're interested in that. Um on uh on that website. And then for copyright it's copyright I think is it copyright with an S? Let me just check because I know it's copyright.gov, but I want to make sure it's not an S on the copyright part. Copyright.gov. Let's see. Just want to make sure. Yeah, copyright.gov. So no S. With an S? No S. Right. No S. Okay. So yeah, and will and again that'll give you all information about. Um, like copyrights, how you would register, that sort of thing. And it talks about, you know, it goes more into detail about everything that it will cover. Of course, it talks about the life, the pretty much the, um, the lifetime, pretty much value of the copyright, how long it lasts, all that stuff that I basically talked about.
1: <laughs>
0: gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. And one last thing right, about copyrights, um, they do have, like, depending on what you're trying to get copyrighted, they have some, like, they're, they're different, like, if you're trying to get um, a song as opposed to a poem or a book, like they have different um categories you can explore to get specific details as to what you would do to register that type of copyright, so it might be like some and gotcha. like you know, so yes, but you'll find it all there oh, Got that's it. that's nice to know mhm,
1: nice to know, all right, ladies. We can continue this conversation if you guys want. you know where we're going.
0: Hi. Twitter
1: Spaces. <laughs> Twitter Spaces. <laughs> That's like the after party. Up. That's the after party. That's the after party. <laughs> <laughs> but you can only access it from your cell phone. So yes, madam think you can go to your tablet or your or your computer. It can only be accessed from your cell phone. So just wanted to put that out there. If there's anybody else listening who wants to join, but we are beauty underscore talk on. Twitter, and just look for our message about uh, Twitter spaces. All right. See you so again. thank you, See you again for tonight's uh, beauty uh, business segment, and just be on the lookout. We'll be calling you in the near
0: future. Um, Listen, you know, I stay continue. ready, okay? I stay ready.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, that's good to know. That's good to know. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys mm-hmm. so much. Um we're jumping over to Twitter spaces. Um, again, we are beauty underscore talk. We thank you guys for your continued support. Have a wonderful evening and have a beautiful and blessed week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.